Remain standing out of love and affection for that gospel and turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We'll be looking at the verse, first 10 verses this morning of Luke chapter 19. An unusual story to look at during the Advent season. Uh, we've been looking at uh, various passages in a new series, asking the question and seeking to answer the question, why did Jesus come? A couple of weeks ago we began, Jesus came to destroy the devil. Then last week, Jesus came to destroy death, that we have all hope in our resurrection, the life eternal that we will never die because of Jesus' resurrection. We have that hope as well. Today we look at a passage that no doubt you probably learned as a, a young child. You probably even sang that same song that I did. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Yeah, Zacchaeus, the wee little man that gives guys like me great hope. <laughs> but that sometimes is the misunderstanding of a passage like this. It's because the world wants to preach, even some pastors want to preach, that this is all about how those of us who are really small can overcome great big hurdles and challenges in life. And that is not what this passage is about. Matter of fact, this passage is not even focused on Zacchaeus at all, but it answers the question that we ask today. Why did Jesus come? Let's give our full attention to the reading and preaching of the word as we answer that question. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the very word of God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming by that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Our Father in heaven, we believe that to be true, that your word stands forever. And so you show us a wonderful promise in your word today, answering the very question that we pose. Why, why would you send your only begotten son? And that is because he would come to seek after us, and not only to seek us, but to save us absolutely. So, Father, please open our eyes to behold that. In this and every portion of your wonderful word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. I grew up in a very large family, and even my children grew up in an even larger family with all kinds of cousins and aunts and uncles and nephews and nieces. And we were all in the Dallas area, and so every holiday we would all get together. 
And Easter was no different. Always Easter, sometimes at my house, sometimes at my grandparents' house, and at another relative's house. And there would always be that great big Easter egg hunt where all the kids would run out in the yard and they would begin to find all of the eggs and put them in their basket and then pose for their pretty pictures and all of that. Well, when it would happen at my house, no doubt, a couple of days later, weather being nice, turning, I would be out in the yard to do some yard work, and I would find one of those little eggs that had been overlooked, that had been lost and was still lost because one of the kids didn't find it and pick it up. Now, when it was those nasty, uh, hard-shelled, you know, solid sugar eggs wrapped in cellophane, that was okay. I could just pick it up and throw it in the trash. But when, and when it was one of my grandmother's hard-boiled eggs... It would be covered in ants. It would be hard to even realize or recognize that it was in fact an egg because it would be blacked out by the, the blackness of the ants crawling all over this thing. It became a little more challenging then to pick that thing up and get rid of it. But none, uh, it, it seemed to happen every, every single time. There would be at least one, one egg that was lost and still lost. It was never found, and instead of being found, it was infested with ants, and it would uh, cause uh, uh, a different problem for me to get rid of it then. Our passage before us this morning, my friends, gives us something similar, but then yet quite the opposite Something is lost, but it doesn't stay lost. Something is saved, is found, and it, it, it doesn't get infested by the evil one who creates some other different picture of it by, by surrounding it with that which is black, but giving that which is of great hope, that which is of nothing but light, the glorious light of the Savior ourself. This is the very reason why Christ came. Two weeks ago, we lit the very first purple candle, because Jesus came to destroy the devil, as Pastor Belanger preached that day. And then last week, the second purple candle, that Jesus came to destroy death, that they could not rob us of the hope of our resurrection, that we will always have life after life. And then today, the third candle, the pink one, by the way, which is simply because we're halfway through the Advent season now, and purple and white make pink when you mix them together, and that is that Jesus came seeking and saving that which is lost. He came to seek you, dear friends. If you're here today and you are trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, you have embraced this Savior who died for you, then he came seeking you. And not only seeking you, he came to absolutely save you, to secure your eternal life in heaven. Some people say... None of us come kicking and screaming into heaven. I say, baloney. Every one of us come kicking and screaming into heaven because there is none righteous, no, not one, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3. You do not seek after God. We love the darkness more than the light, as John tells us in the opening of his gospel account. But we have a Savior who came born as the tiny babe of Bethlehem, to grow in stature and favor with God and with man, to seek us, and not only seek us, but to save us. Whoa, what a gospel. That'll get your crank turned, won't it? Do you know that Luke is the only gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, and John, 
do not have this story in their gospel account. Luke is the only gospel writer who gives us this particular passage, this picture of Zacchaeus up in a tree trying to see the Lord Jesus. He begins his book, Luke does, the doctor. You remember the, the, the summary of the book of Luke is orderly account. He tells Theophilus, the guy that he's writing the letter to in the opening verse of chapter 1, I am writing to give you an orderly account of the things pertaining to this one called Jesus the Christ. And so he is giving us something here, beloved. He's giving us something here that Matthew, Mark, and John hasn't given us so that we would absolutely envision it. And what is it? That we would see the Christ He says it twice in verse 3 and then in verse 5. Zacchaeus climbed to this tree because he wanted to see Christ. And then when he saw uh, that he was coming, he saw Christ coming by. He wanted to see him. Luke gives us this account. The only gospel writer gives us this account so that we would actually see who Jesus is. The focus is not on the little man up in the tree. The focus is on the Savior who came to seek and save the little man up in the tree, and who came to seek and save you and me as well. Back in chapter 9, verse 51 of Luke's gospel, Jesus says this, or Luke writes this about Jesus, that he resolutely set himself to get to Jerusalem. So all the way back 10 chapters before our text today is the context of Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That gives us this beautiful picture then of what it is that I'm communicating to you now. And that is that this account, the only one that comes to us by Luke himself, is for the sole purpose that we might see who Jesus really is. That we might concentrate and focus on him. Not the little guy who overcomes big obstacles in life, but the very one who came for the sole purpose of seeking and saving the lost, that we might do what? Verse 6, that we might then welcome him gladly into our life. So let's look at this passage then. Look what it says in verse 5. Jesus reached the spot. When Jesus reached the spot, certainly no wonder that we read that because back in chapter 9, verse 51, it said that Jesus resolutely sent out to get to Jerusalem. In the passage that follows our text this morning, look at verse 11. We read then that Jesus was near Jerusalem, as we read in verse 11. At the end of verse 28, he is now going up to Jerusalem. He's climbing the mountain. And then in verse 41, he approached the city, he saw the city, and he began to weep over it. So what starts in chapter 9, verse 51, we now see that Jesus is actually nearing Jerusalem. He resolutely set out for that purpose because he's going there to do something and that which he is going to do is to secure the salvation for those that he came to save. Those that he had been sent by his heavenly father to bear their sin in his body that he might die for that sin that we would be lost and found and saved now for all eternity. So our passage then comes right as Jesus is about to get to Jerusalem but he's not there yet. He's actually in Jericho. Before we get there, let me just simply say this. The, the name Zacchaeus literally means, it literally means pure or just. 
Well, Zacchaeus is anything but pure or just in the eyes and the minds of those in the city of Jericho, is he not? He is a chief tax collector, as Luke tells us in verse 2, which means he's not going about collecting taxes, robbing the people as a collaborator of Rome. He actually is the chief over all of the other tax collectors. They're out doing the dirty business, and then he's robbing from the robbers. He is a step above the lowest life form of all mankind. He is the chief tax collector. He's anything but pure. He's anything but just. And he is in the city of Jericho. Now, Jerusalem is not far away from Jericho. But think about this. Now, Jericho was known as the city of the palms. It got that name after the events that we read. You remember the events of Rahab the harlot? Who comes to believe in Israel's God, and she hides the 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 the, the the, the guys that are going into the promised land to, to scope it all out, she hides them in her home because she has become to believe in Israel's God. And then she lets them down out of the window so that they can escape. And then she hangs a scarlet cord, a red cord, out of her window so that when they come back into Jericho and they march around the walls blowing the trumpets and the walls come tumbling down, the other song that you used to learn when you were a child in Sunday school, then salvation comes to Rahab's household. You remember that? Zacchaeus is nothing more than the New Testament version of the Old Testament story of Rahab. Rahab's salvation comes to her household. And now we have the very same thing. When the city of, of Jericho was destroyed... The curse was placed on it by Joshua that anybody who tried to rebuild the city of Jericho would curse, be cursed by God. And it was. It continued for those who tried to rebuild the city. Curse after curse after curse until 2 Kings 2 when Elisha blesses the water of the city. The city then begins to prosper. The palm trees grow and it becomes known as the city of the palms. The most unlikely city to come right back to this beautiful life that fits perfectly in with the picture of what Jesus is giving us here in the words he's giving to Zacchaeus. The most unlikely person to receive salvation is the little tax collector who's climbed up a tree whose name is pure and just, who's anything but pure and just, but he is now going to receive this new life the beauty of the palms, the city of the palms, salvation will come to him. Why? Because Jesus has come to Jericho on his way to Jerusalem for a purpose. And that purpose is to find Zacchaeus. I don't know if you've done this yet, but I just did it this last week. I wrote that enormously, disgustingly, um, abundantly, uh, whatever Lee, other word, check to this guy named Ken Mon, the tax collector of Collin County. I don't know Ken Mon from Adam, but I know I give him a big check every year. Now, what would happen if we went downtown to the courthouse square and we found Ken Mon up a tree? Would we not think that that was pretty doggone strange? I don't know the guy, but if someone said, that's your tax assessor and collector, Ken Mon, he's climbed up a tree on the courthouse square, I would think, 
Now that is out of character. Because that guy, I know, has a lot of money because a lot of that money is my money that I have given to him. The taxes that we pay, this would be out of character for Ken Mon to have climbed up a tree. And yet that's exactly what we have. Put this into context, friends. The, 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 the saints of the city of Jericho, those who will begin to mutter, verse 7 here in just a moment, that, that Jesus has gone into the house uh, to be the guest of a sinner, this would be out of character for their chief, pre, or their chief uh, tax collector to have climbed a tree. But that's the whole point of the gospel. When Jesus comes seeking after you and me, he invades us in such a way that we now act completely out of character. Because my whole life has been transformed. My whole life has been changed by this one who has sought after me. He has been in hot pursuit of me and has found me. And he has been in hot pursuit of you. And he has found you if you were a lover of the Lord Jesus and can't wait for his second appearing. It is out of our character then for us to do that which the world does. But they ought to be looking at us and going, that makes absolutely no sense at all, and yet be mesmerized by that, drawn to that. So he's climbed up a tree, but look what Jesus says. He tells him to come down, and, and oh my goodness, can you imagine what went through the minds of Zacchaeus? Look at verse 5. Jesus reached the very spot because he had resolutely set himself out to get to Jerusalem, and he was passing through Jericho for the sole purpose of finding this little tax collector up the tree. And he says to him, Zacchaeus? And Zacchaeus had to, he, he, he almost had to fall out of the tree. He almost had to go, <laughs> he, he knows me by name. He called me by name. I've never met the guy. He obviously now has the work of the Spirit who has preceded Jesus coming. Look at verse 3. He wanted to see Jesus, so he obviously heard, heard about him. He had heard things about him, so he wanted to see if what he had heard is true. He climbs up this sycamore fig tree so that he can see him because he's a short man and he can't see over the crowd. Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, get yourself down out of that tree. And he had to be. That everything he was thinking, everything that I heard must be true. He even knows who I am, and I have never, I've never even been formally introduced to the guy. Now, Jesus does not, isn't it interesting here what Jesus does do and doesn't do? Jesus does not ridicule him in front of the crowd, he doesn't make fun of him because he climbed up a tree, he doesn't make fun of his name. You're just and pure, and yet you're anything but just and pure. All he says is, come down, because I have to go to your house. Why? Because I have resolutely set myself to get to Jerusalem, and I came through Jericho on purpose to go to your house today. He was seeking after that which was lost. And so he says, come down, I have to go to your house. But why doesn't Jesus give him the gospel? Why don't we read that? Why don't we read that Jesus says, come down because I've been seeking you and I'm here to die for you. I'm here to give you my life so that you might have life abundant and free. He does. He just doesn't do it in words. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is life eternal, abundant and free. And Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm giving you me. I'm giving you myself. 
And Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly. He receives him because he has been found by the very one who has been seeking him. The most unlikely of people. And isn't that what we've been looking at? We didn't look at it, but look at the whole chapter of 18. Beginning in verse 15, Jesus comes to the little children that, if, uh, that are... That are uh, that are, uh, he, he's touching and the little children are coming to him and just saying, don't hinder those little ones coming. Bring the little ones to me. And then a rich young ruler, beginning in verse 18. And then a, a, a blind beggar who Jesus heals in verse 35. Those three accounts, before we get to Zacchaeus in chapter 19, verse 1. All of those, all of those save one, is the most unlikely of candidates. These little bitty children who can't get to Jesus, but they have to be brought to Jesus. This beggar who cannot see, who is brought to Jesus and receives sight. And Zacchaeus, who's up a tree, who Jesus says, come down, I'm going to go to your house today. The only one who had no obstacle in coming to Jesus is the rich young ruler, and yet he is the only one of the four categories who does not receive salvation. Because his salvation is his money. He wasn't even thinking about Jesus and what Jesus could give him. He was only thinking about himself and what more he could get out of this life. And so the most unlikely candidates are the ones that respond to the gospel. In verse 7, the, all these people begin to mutter. He's going into the house of a sinner. And of all of those people... The, the most unlikely one is the one up the tree. The religious people who were there to shout that Jesus was coming, we read nothing about salvation coming to any of those. We only read that salvation comes to the most unlikely one of all and that Jesus had resolutely set himself going to Jerusalem to pass through Jericho that he might find him up a tree and tell him to come down. That which was lost, my friends, is what he came to save. And that's what we read then at the end of our passage. Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, today, today, salvation is coming to your house. A word that we'll read later in, in the Gospel of Luke. Today you will be with me in paradise. To that thief on the cross next to him, remember? He looks at Zacchaeus and he says, Today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your whole household. Friends, listen. Here is the most beautiful thing about being Presbyterian. Are you ready? The gospel applied to us by the work of the Spirit makes our salvation actual, not possible. It's not just some possible riches that are in heaven that if we make a withdrawal off of those, those bank accounts in heaven, then we'll receive that credited to our account. No, no, a thousand times no. God love all of our dear Arminian friends on the other side of the camp. But that is not what the Bible gives us. If that were true, then salvation is based upon you and your ability to do something. You were dead in your sins and transgressions. You just read that. But God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive in Christ Jesus. There are none righteous, no, not one, no one who seeks after God. But Christ came for this purpose, to seek after you, and not only to seek after you, but to find you, and in finding you, he gives you the gift of life. It is salvation 
actually applied. Kicking and screaming, I'm coming into the kingdom of heaven. Because I wouldn't normally do that in my sinful nature. This is the beauty of reformed theology. This is the beauty of the gospel. That it makes my salvation actual, not possible. Jesus did not come for your perfect life now or your best life now. He didn't come for your purpose in life right now. He didn't come to fulfill all of your felt needs as deep and as longing as those are. He came to secure a place for you in heaven and he has done that work. He was born the tiny babe of Bethlehem to grow in stature and favor with God and man, to die on the cross, to be raised again to new life, so that they could never take away our resurrection. What a gospel. Man, if that doesn't turn your crank, you just have no crank. You've got no heart. Salvation has come to your house. Can you imagine what Zacchaeus must have been thinking? Holy smoke! Oh wait, no, that's Thursday night over at Greg Wright's house. He must have been thinking, this guy knows me. He, he's, he knows me and I don't even know who he is and everything that I have heard is true. And then look now, he's changed. A transformation comes to Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus, verse 8, look at it. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, to whom? To the Lord, not in the presence of the crowd. They're outside muttering. They're outside his house muttering, I can't believe it. Like those, those guys up in, the, uh, the, up in the, the balcony, remember? Ah, the Muppets, ah. Get, up, get away from that. Stop that. Look at him. What's he doing up there? They're going into the house to eat with a sinner. I can't believe that. And inside the house, Zacchaeus says, Lord, look, here and now I'm going to give half of everything. I'm going to cause all of these things to fall out of my hands, all of this money, because my sin has fallen out of my heart. You have taken my sin away. You have given me life. I have been saved I was lost and now I am found. I have been saved. You have given salvation to me today. And so what's fallen out of my heart is my sin. And now what's falling out of my hands are my possessions. Because that is not going to save me. As wonderful as they are, like the rich young ruler, it isn't going to save me. Zacchaeus is completely transformed, completely changed because he has been invaded now by the one who has prepared the way that he could see who Jesus literally was and what Jesus came to do for him. What a gospel. Jesus did not come, my friends, just to be some good example for you to live your life by. Jesus did not come just to give you some good suggestions for guidelines for you to try to follow or not follow. Jesus comes right where you are, up a tree or down in the bottom of the pit. He comes right where you are, seeking after you, and not only seeking you, but finding you, and not only finding you, but then giving you the gift of eternal life, so that you can scream from the mountaintops, they cannot take away my resurrection. Are you alive? Yeah, we're alive because of the work of the gospel, the one who is the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to make this life actual, not something merely possible. There is a 
British little skit that you can look up on YouTube. I, I find it quite hilarious because it, it starts out, the, the camera opens like this, and there's a mom and a dad in the living room and a little boy, and the dad is trying to convince the little boy to play hide-and-go-seek. And the little boy obviously has done this before and doesn't want any part of it. No, I don't want to play. Come on, son, it will be fun, it will be fun. Let's play hide-and-seek. Okay, you go run and hide, all right? Go run and hide. No, no, go run and hide. Off he turns, he's going like this away, and the dad goes, one, two, three. And the mom reaches into a cabinet, pulls out a cassette player. If you don't know what that is, it's old-timey stuff. But they put it on the table, she pushes the play button, and on the tape then you hear the father's voice going, four, five, six. They back out to the door, open the door. You can clearly see that it's daylight outside, and then they close the door while the tape continues to play. It goes to a couple of other skits, and then it comes back. The camera's open, and it's in this same living room again. The door opens, and Mom and Dad sneak in, but you can clearly see behind them, it's pitch black dark. And you hear the, the tape saying, 47,869, 47,870, and then Mom goes over and clicks it off. The dad walks over to the door that's underneath the staircase. Little closet opens up and goes, Oh, there you are. Found you. Time for bed. Off you go now. And the little boy goes running up the stairs. Now, that is the absolute opposite of what you have right here. The absolute, let's use the opposite to make the obvious. Jesus literally did come to seek after you. He's not off playing a game somewhere. He came to seek you, dear loved one. And not only did he come to seek you, but he came to save you. He's not going to leave you. He's promised us that. The gospel promises us that. We are the most unlikely people to ever receive this wonderful gift of this gospel of grace. And yet, my friends, it has come. Actually, he came. Why? to seek you, and not only seek you, but to save you, that you might have the hope of the resurrected life forever and forever. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, what a great gospel it is that you give to us in Jesus, the Christ, our Savior, the one who knows us by name calls us by name as we come kicking and screaming into his marvelous, glorious grace. Father, would you remind us of that again this Advent season and every day through Epiphany and through Lent and through the season of Pentecost and all of the seasons of our calendar that move us uh, from year to year. Simply remind us, Lord, that Jesus was born <clears throat> to seek after us because that was your divine election from the foundation of the world. Go and get that one because that one is mine. And he did that. He secured our place with him in heaven forever and forever and no one can rob that from us. That is the glorious gospel. Help us cling to it and live it out changed. The most unlikely people transformed by this gospel today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.